Aloha! You are listening to Inside the Desert Oasis Room, episode number 175. This episode is sponsored by the Tiki Bar T-Shirt Club, where their monthly t-shirt designs pay tribute to a Polynesian bar or restaurant from days long past. Each design is available for a limited time and will never be produced again. For the collectors out there, be sure to check out their subscription program, where they offer a discounted 3-, 6-, or 12-month plan. For more information and to check out this month's shirt, visit TikiBarTshirtClub.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Tiki Tea, a family-owned and operated tropical drink bar in Los Angeles, California. Come get their house specialty, The Ray's Mistake, for only $6 on Wednesdays until 9 p.m. For more information, check out their website, tiki-ti.com. This episode is sponsored by Skull & Crown Trading Company, located in the historic Chinatown district of Honolulu on the island of Oahu. Skull & Crown is Hawaii's premier exotic destination. Enjoy delicious island favorites and classically crafted cocktails in their mysterious tiki room or their enchanted courtyard. For more information, visit them on the web at SkullandCrownTrading.com or follow them on Facebook or Instagram at Skull and Crown Trading Co. On this episode, we chat with artist, carver, and builder Danny Gallardo, also known as Tiki Diablo. Tiki Diablo is a world-renowned tiki carver, mug maker, and thematic builder having created some of the most iconic collectibles and tiki-themed spaces of the modern era. If you're a tiki enthusiast, odds are you've got one or more of his tiki mugs in your collection, or you've visited a bar he's built. I've known Danny for about two decades, and so on this episode, we chat about the early days of tiki when we first met, what and who inspires his work, his thoughts on the current state of Tiki, and learn a little bit more about his background and origin story. As always, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as we did bringing it to you. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider helping us with your support during this challenging time. Stop by DesertOasisRoom.com to check out our merch or leave us a tip. We've got Tiki mugs, t-shirts, and pendants available right now. Any purchase or donation, no matter the size, is totally appreciated and helps keep this podcast coming to you every week. All righty, grab a cocktail and join us inside the Desert Oasis Room and give it up for artist, carver, and builder, Tiki Diablo. Yo. <laughs> What's, up? What's going on? Not much. What are you doing? Just chilling, getting ready, trying to get into a quiet spot of the house. Working, living the dream? Uh, yeah, I was just demolding a, a, a master mold right now, and um, I got lucky. Nothing broke. Oh, that's good. It's so, always nice when things go the way they're supposed to, right? Yeah. No complaints. Awesome, awesome. Well, I appreciate you being on the podcast. Yeah, we've been we attempted to get together once before, and we went to go have beers instead. So, yeah, that's how that's how things work out for us. Huh? That happens to us all the time. So, for our listeners out there, we have Tiki Diablo on the show today. His shop used to be not too far away from where I live, and he came over to record one time, and we just said we're so we're gonna do this and I'm like ah fuck it let's go get a beer <laughs> <laughs> yeah we started with a cocktail at the house first I think. that's right that's right and then it was over that's right it, it, so here's the thing so you know i've known danny for a long time we're coming up on two decades now and Ooh, when's our anniversary oh i don't know the exact date because <laughs> yours is today that's right to, today is it's, it's my wedding anniversary thanks Soccer for alert. thanks for uh <laughs> thanks for uh, reminding me uh, yeah, so I've known Danny for a long time, so we always put this thing off, and we keep saying, uh, yeah, we'll get to it, you know, because we talk all the time, and, you know, people keep asking for this. People keep 
sending me messages and saying like, hey, when are you going to do that Tiki Diablo episode? So here it is. So again, thanks. Thanks for taking uh, some time out of your day. Yeah, no problem. I want to tell people about your origin story because, you know, you've been in the public eye in the Tiki community for a long time. So like I said, coming up on two decades and, you know, I've seen people come and go. You've seen people come and go and you're just as strong. I would say stronger than, you know, than you ever were when you first even started back in the day, back when there wasn't a whole lot of people doing this Tiki thing. Right. And I think people would be interested to know. I don't know how much of this you want to reveal. I know your origin story, <laughs> but I think people would be interested to hear that. So I want to ask you a couple of questions about that. So uh, number one, did you go to art school? Number two. Oh, no. Yeah, for a day. I was. Uh, I think I was four and a half going on five. I, I know I was too young to be in kindergarten. Oh, Okay. So that was like art class. That was a, art yeah, school. yeah, yeah, art class. So, so that's the answer to the first question. The answer to the second question, and then we're going to have many more questions. Question number two: What were you doing before you were doing tiki? Okay, um, so I was working for a home improvement chain, the national chain. Um, it was actually pre Home Depot. It was called Home. It used to be Home Club, and then it was Home Base. Um, and um, basically, if I had to like put it in 2020 terms, I was like a fixer. So um, you know, I was single. I wasn't married yet. Um, and I basically was sent to like a store here in Southern California. And I was like, you know, okay, go fix this, go fix that, you know, whatever. Get the thing in shape, and then they would ship me off to another. Um, store and through the course of you know you know these different stores it came out that I was creative um, and I took the gardening department in one of the stores and like built waterfalls and redwood decks and cross merchandised um, other departments in the store you know regardless if they were my departments or not right and um and, you know, it, it bumped up sales everywhere and it gave people that didn't have um, the vision to like put things together. They're like, oh, OK, this is um, what I can do. This is a, about what it would cost. They would, you know, do the math for their project and off they were, you know, buying stuff. So, you know, I had come up with about three or four different things that became like, you know, chain wide, um, company wide programs. And I was kind of like, well, you know, that was cool. Um, I know I have some value here. And I ended up getting, uh, you know, gave me some confidence. So I ended up getting um, sent over to run the number one nursery in the chain, which happened to be in South Orange County. And um, and I, they said, you could do whatever you want. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, really? Okay. That's awesome. You know, and, and it was funny because our corporate office was in Irvine we were the closest store to corporate. And uh, because of that um, proximity with corporate, um, they were in, in and out all the time, you know, we're like the test test bed. Right. Right. So here's this young guy. Um, and I was actually the only Latino manager, you know, in this store. Um, and I was like, you know, kind of like the golden child. Like they gave me an extra raise, um, they would come and ask the president and the vice president would come and ask for me by name. And they gave me a, a, a open PO blank, like a blank check, nice. whatever I wanted. So I went to town and did, um, a tiki scene, but it initially started out like Gilligan's Island, you know, that, which was what my exposure was to that, you know, in my head, right. you know, Hawaii tropical. And, um, through the, through that research, I found the book of Tiki. Okay. And this was, um, I don't know. It was like eye opening to me. And, uh, the book you know, of Tiki make a, to make a long story longer. Go ahead. At Sorry. that time, the book of Tiki had to have just come out because when I met you, yeah. it was brand spanking new. Yeah. Yeah. It, this was 2001. Um, 
I was uh, freshly married, got married in 2000. And um, I remember um, getting this book and I was like, holy shit, like this is cool. You know, right. It, it, before I just skimmed the surface, you know, from whatever, you know, kind of like limited materials were out there for me to look, right. uh, you know, the internet, um, you would look up Tiki and there was like Bosco um, and some place Red's Tiki's and like in Florida and of course, uh, uh, my Tiki um, in Florida also uh, with Wayne Coombs and then that was it. Um, so... You know, to make a long story longer, um, I ended up, um, you know, doing the whole theme in this outdoor nursery. And uh, I had carved my own tiki's because I didn't have a source for them. And, you know, um, I did have to, you know, manage my budget, even though I technically didn't have a budget. You know, you don't want to overspend your clients or in that case, my bosses. They, you know, they'd be looking at like, what is this dude doing? He's over here spending, you know, right, buying gold toilet right. seats and shit, you know? Right. So, uh, yeah, like I fell in love with this machine that I had, you know, drawn and created and watched people interact with. Uh, they would come in and they were like literally every week somebody was trying to buy one of the tickets that I had carved. Right. And, right. Um, and uh, then uh, one day I would just kind of like, it took, I guess this was the day of your birthday, you know, 2001, mm-hmm. September 11th, was it 2001? Uh-huh. And I went, I saw all the things go down on television. And I was kind of like, oh man, like what the hell, you know, like what is this? You know, like the right. world had changed for me. I was like watching people, you know, doing what was, you know, just watching what everybody was going through and it really impacted me. And I had to go to work that day. And uh, I just didn't want to be there. I was like, man, I don't want to be here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think the following day, um, when I went to work, I was like, man, like this is not what I want to do. Like, make creating this this environment that I did, you know, getting paid to be creative was awesome. But once the daily grind set in, and I had to, you know, uh, manage all these employees that that um, were in my departments. And, um, you know, they just come in with some, you know, uh, whatever their concerns were, um, you know, uh, I was kind of like, man, I don't want to be here. So basically I called my wife and I'm like, you know, um, I, I, I earlier that day I had asked her my question, asked myself a question, is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? You know, cause I was in my late twenties at the time and I was kind of like, well, you know, what, what's the next step for me? And like, you know, is this it? So basically it was is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? And the answer was either yes or it was no. So I kind of had to take a long, you know, a long look in the mirror and the answer was no. So Mm -hmm. literally that day I just, I quit, just walked out, like handed in my keys. um, And uh, I left. And, you know, of course, you know, I called my wife and told her what was going on. And she's like, all right, back you up. I trust you. Yeah. You know, and that's pretty tough because we had only been married yeah, you know, year, a year, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, um, I've always had a lot of support for her, so she knew to trust me, and I knew to trust her. So uh, yeah, I quit, quit, left, and uh, by that time, it I already started a plan to think I was going to start doing something tiki related, right? Um, and I didn't know what, but I, you know, I also thought me, I kind of like tend to overthink things sometimes. I'm kind of like a classic Gemini. I'm either zero or 60. So I'm overthinking or I just jump in the deep end and just do it. And I'm like, you know, screw it. I'll, we'll figure it out, you know, as we, as we go, you know, no one's going to die. If no one's going to die, then cool. Let's just do it. Right. This. Right. That's a pretty bold move. I mean, so, you, you know, know, I mean, that, that takes a lot uh, of balls. <laughs> I, I guess. I mean, maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. I, I guess I didn't think about it enough to be scared. Right. Um, and uh, and then we took a nice fat trip. Uh, we were on vacation for almost a month. We did um, we did three weeks um, uh, in total in Cancun, and we did one week in Havana. And, oh, nice. And, and then I came back and just hit a full force. Yeah. You full time. Yeah. No parachute. It's crazy. I remember those days. <laughs> and, you know, right from the beginning, you were already doing tiki mugs. 
I mean, it wasn't just, yeah. I mean, it was full blown. It was, it was, it wasn't just carvings, but you had carvings, you had apparel, you had ceramics, you were, you were doing all kinds of stuff. And I remember those early tikis. I remember the first tikis that you carved for that garden project. Do you know where those things ended up? Mm, no, I sold, I, so after I had already quit, um, I had left some of my personal property there, which were the tiki that I had carved. Uh-huh. Um, so, um, and I was kind of like nervous to go back cause it was like crazy, the crazy rumor mill that I had quit. Everybody was shocked because here I was, had only been there a few months. Um, for some reason, everybody like took a liking to me. Um, they totally backed me up. Like literally two of my three assistants quit. Wow. Because I, because I quit. Wow. They're okay. like, all right, Danny's out here. We're out. And I was like, no, don't do that. What are you doing? You know, right. don't, don't listen to me. I'm crazy. You know, <laughs> but they're like, nah, it's not the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I went back, um, to get these three tickets that I had carved and it just so happened that, um, that somebody was there trying to buy them again, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, literally every week I would get names and phone numbers of people that wanted to buy my tiki. And I was like, well, you know, I'm salaried, I'm in management. Like it's a conflict of interest for me to sell them. I can't. Right. Um, and I had nowhere, nobody to refer them to. So it was kind of like a, kind of like a dick move. Like, well, they're not for sale. Uh, can't help you buy, you know, but of course I'd never put it like that. Um, and as I went to go pick them up, some dude wanted to buy them. He, they were on his cart. So then I'm like, well, you know, hell, I'm not an employee anymore. So, yeah. Um, so he's like, well, what do you want? And I'm all right. You know, I don't know. I, I thought like, oh, I don't know. I can't remember. It was probably like 900 bucks, you know, 300 each or something. Wow. Was it that and high like, back then? Yeah, it was, there were like 300, 300 each. There was three tiki's. One of them was like four foot. Okay. And then two were like three footers. Um, and I was like, shit, you know, that's what I make in a week. Like, you know, yeah, I just yeah. made, you know, in five, in my mind, I made in five seconds, I made what took me to make, you know, right. a week or whatever it was right. that I was making. So I was like, yeah, cool. So it was like, I was hooked. Wow. I was like, man, I just, I just got paid for creating something and, uh, and somebody wanted it and I sold it. Yeah. So, you know, great feeling. I was hooked. I was like, all right, let's do this. And I rolled up my sleeves and yeah. just went to town. Yeah, in those early days, you were carving tiki's pretty regularly, and I was fortunate enough to get one of your early tiki's. I think I have a total of eight of your tiki's. But back you got more then, than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any. <laughs> back then, I got that one from you at the, uh, it was a tiki farm, big old tiki bash. It was kind of right. the first local tiki event in the new revival. Mm-hmm. And Drew Brophy showed there. You showed there. Uh, I think Bamboo Ben built some bars. Um, there were some you know, miscellaneous artists that were kind of showing their stuff. And it was a really small thing compared to the way things are today. And that tiki that I got there, and this is why I was surprised that you were saying 300 for those first tiki's because the tiki I got from you there was I think a hundred 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 fifty something like that I don't know if it was a bro deal or not that you gave me um oh maybe you know what I don't know maybe uh might have been but I mean because you always gave me bro deals so yeah yeah so and I appreciate that and and this was one that I dude I sold a bunch of stuff just to get it because you know at that time I was poor too right we were all younger we're all trying to find our way I think I give you the brown discount because at that time, okay. probably you and I were the only brown people in Tiki. That's right. Know? That's right. <laughs> and, that's right. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And, you know, that uh, I still have that Tiki and it, it meant a lot to me because it was really, I wasn't really buying art yet at that point. So it was really kind of the first piece of art that a friend of mine had made. Right. And over the years, I ended up getting things like uh, when I was married to my first wife, she commissioned you to carve a Marquesan wall plaque that hangs in my bar. I still have that today. And I have a few other things that are important to me as well. So one of them was a Marquesan that you carved for my daughter's one year birthday party when she turned one. Yeah, and, Sydney. Yep, Sydney. And 
she already graduated high school. You know, she's going to be starting. Pictures. Isn't, isn't that, that crazy? crazy? She's starting college in in uh, September, and wow. I still have that tiki. Of course, it's a very uh, very important tiki to me because it was from that, right? Mm-hmm. And then I also have Tiki Ricardo, which was in Copernacin Gallery, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, that was Copernacin, yeah. Yep. So I was in an art show, and i got to think of what else I've got, but I've got quite a few things from you, and a bunch of your early mugs. So what I think people will find interesting is these early mugs you were making out of your garage, handmade, and you had brought a bunch to Sven's house. I don't know if you remember this, and you're selling them out of the trunk of your car, and no. they were that sounds fun. And, <laughs> and they were cool. <laughs> they were cool. So they were like you know uh, your take on a coup mug, and I think there were two designs, but you had a bunch of different colors, and you didn't even know what to price them at. I remember saying like, "Hey, so what do you want for these?" And you said, "Uh, twenty five bucks. That sound cool." Right. And I said, uh, "All right." And you said, uh, "I'll tell you what, twenty five bucks a piece." Two for 40. So I said, cool. So I bought two because I thought, oh, yeah, get the deal. Two for 40. Right. <laughs> and in retrospect, man, should have bought them all. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. You got right. kids in college. I know. Sell right? it all. So, yeah, that, that was fun. And, and, you know, back then, we were also bright eyed and bushy tailed, you know, mm-hmm. just learning everything that there was to learn about mid-century Polynesian pop style tiki. Right. Do you remember where you were drawing your influences from? I know that your book of tiki is like really, really beat up because that was a a nice reference point. Did you have like a favorite style or a favorite carver that you were motivated by or inspired by? Mm, So back then, um, I would say it would be a coup, right? Right. Um, I would say my biggest influences at the time were Leroy Schmaltz and Crazy Al. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. would say those two are my biggest influences um, until I really settled into my own style. Mm-hmm. You could definitely see those influences. Okay. Um, and I still look at uh, both of their carvings and I'm like, fuck, I wish I could carve like that. You know? Right. Like, Right. They're they are just two dudes that will never be um, replicated. Nobody will will equal their them in their styles. Right. You know they they go deeper uh, in their projects than I'm willing to go um, because of kind of like the path that I've chosen. Sure. Um, sure. So you know, and I basically I don't carve art pieces. I carve tiki's that would have fit in a tiki bar back in the day. You know, mm-hmm. um, I do the best that I can in the time that I have allotted for myself to carve that tiki. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is that you have developed such a, what's the word that I'm looking for? A very distinct style mm-hmm. that, you know, if I see a Diablo, I know that that's a Diablo. And, and I love, especially the earlier ones, man, it's, there was just something about them that really captured that mid-century Polynesian pop style that nobody um, else was doing. Yeah. You know, you know, which one you have that I really like and I miss. What's that? Well, besides the Tiki Ricardo is that Marquesan. That's the one, this, the one you did for Sydney's birthday. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. And, and that was a huge, I remember that, that log and that carving that commission because, um, I didn't have a huge, um, stash of logs. Okay. And that was the log I had. And um, picking the log is like picking a watermelon. You don't know until you get in there. You know right, what I mean? Right. And right. it happened to be, I hit a, a soft spot and it was right in the freaking middle of the, of the tiki. And I really had to work hard to um, make that carving work. Uh, you know, and I, I, um, I didn't let it, let it beat me. I really liked the way it came out. Uh, but it, that log, you know, was was a challenging log because it had a soft spot in it, in the worst possible spot. Right. So, for our listeners that aren't familiar with what we're talking about, let's give them a little one hundred and one on logs and what's ideal for carving. Uh, so for me, it's it well, it's basically what I carve the most, and it's a Mexican sand palm. Um, 
and you can carve other logs. Um, I have carved other woods, um, other types of wood, but the Mexican fan palm is, uh, as I understand it, it was the traditional log for carving Polynesian pop tiki's. Sure. And it, it's funny the way it's been told to me is the reason those were picked was when they were expanding the freeway system in LA uh, back in the golden era of tiki. There was a standing order to chop down uh, all the palm trees along the freeway in order to create this, you know. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. These, Yeah, these highways and stuff. Um, and I think that the order still stands per, the, I know the, the I think she's um, the landscape architect for the city of LA. I carved her and her husband some tiki's and she told me, oh yeah, that's, that law still, that order still stands. Oh wow. You know, they're technically, they're <laughs> supposed to chop down all the palm trees. Wow. But they don't because it's also so iconic. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then, you know, what are you going to do? You know, nobody wants to cut down a palm tree. They're, you know, yeah. so beautiful looking. Yeah, so for so, tiki nerds like me, I, you know, the Mexican fan palm, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, the Mexican fan palm is ideal once it's been dried. So yeah. for the average person out there that probably doesn't know this, you got to dry the logs for, I think, what's the minimum? Six months? Better if you six dry months, longer? Six months to a year. Right, six months to a year. Mexican mm-hmm. fan palm is going to be better than, say, a queen palm because a queen yeah. is going to be mostly hollow in the middle mm-hmm. and stringy, so it doesn't work. And so for the other carvers out there that don't use Mexican fan palm, you might find certain characteristics in the logs that they use because of the style that they like to create. So, for example, Bosco and Ken Pleasant, they like to use cedar because it duplicates kind of that that Whitco style, which is who their influences are. And mm-hmm. and Whitco used swamp cedar, if I'm correct. And uh, I think our buddy Lake Surfer out in in Milwaukee uses, uh, what does he use? He uses, uh, I think, pine, right? Yeah, I think he uses pine. Yeah, pine and maybe basswood, you know, what's what's native to where he's from. And you're going to get different characteristics out of your tiki's depending on the kind of log that you use, right? So, um, and you got to dry the logs. So yep. some of these tiki's dry. that you've carved for me were heavy when I first got them because they might have still been still had water inside but dry enough on the outside to carve and over time that they've lightened up so um tiki ricardo is one of those i believe and yeah 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 that one was hollowed out and it's got a drum skin on top so the sound goes out through the mouth and and but the base of it i think still was pretty heavy but now it's pretty light Solid. i mean had to for yeah, the, what yeah that guy that guy was t- the reason i called him tiki ricardo is i turned that into a, a conga drum and right, I hollowed right. out the head, and um, I hollowed out the head all the way down to the mouth, and then the mouth was open, um, and it was uh, uh, it was a play on a mug I had made, I think, called a Macumba. That's right. Which yeah. is a play on the Whitco Fountain. Um, right, right. And then I skinned it, you know, and I just, um, uh, I don't know, I just liked that idea of turning it into something functional, dual purpose. And then, you know, it was for Copernicus, which was, you know, a huge right. step for me as far as art shows, um, you know, at the time. And, and even now, you know. Yeah. You know and what I... So, yeah, those Mexican fan palms are ideal for me. Right. You know what I wanted to do to that Tiki Ricardo? So I was kind of torn about this. So I went down to Sam Ash, and I was looking at actual, like a real drum skin with mm-hmm. the frame, a tunable frame and everything that I was actually going to mount it on there so it actually had a, a tunable drum skin. But then I thought, ah, oh, you know what? I shouldn't fuck with it. You know, I should leave it the way that it is, right? And so I did, you know. But um, I thought, how cool would it be if I could actually tune the drum head, you know? Right. <laughs> so um, I was kind of torn about that, but I'm glad I didn't mess with it. But, uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. And that one does does have the skin on it, too, so it still has that outside skin. Yep. You know, and and I did it. I mean, I'm sure it's loosened up over time. And when I did it, I'm, I was probably uh, had a deadline to meet <clears throat> with putting that skin on. So I probably got it as tight as I could, um, you know, right. under the conditions that I had. 
Right. But it looked good. I mean, it looked good, and it was a fun, a fun piece. And um, you know, I sometimes I catch a glimpse of an old carving. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, oh, you idiot, you made that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how that sounds, but you know that that's the truth. You know, yeah. sometimes I look at, I'm like, oh, I like that. Oh, no shit. Right. Of course you like it. You know. <laughs> and by the you way, it. by the way, talking about iconic tiki's. I think you still hold the record for the world's largest tiki mug. Uh, I don't know. I mean, carved probably. Yes, I don't think someone's done a carved one since. I know yeah, yeah. Uh, Danielle Mann made like a styrofoam carved, a styrofoam carved um, tiki, um, but like functional, usable. Yeah. Probably. Well, the yeah, the, 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 the one that you carved, so it was carved out of a log also, but it a is, huge log. it's actually, it's still a, I mean, if people were ambitious, it's still a drinking vessel. And mm-hmm. how tall is that thing? Four or five feet tall? Five feet tall, maybe? Uh, I can, yeah, maybe four and a half feet. Okay. Uh, it's pretty big. And... You had to use a full size umbrella and a beach ball to have the correct proportion for the garnish if you were <laughs> going to garnish it and you know, people would do that for photo shoots and that kind of thing. It was as almost as tall as the pinups that would had posed with it. So Yeah, yeah. I remember uh Winky Tiki Octavio. Uh he used it in a uh pinup shoot and he put the girl inside the tiki mug and she held the parasol at the cocktail um, There you go cocktail umbrella and then i made a straw out of uh plumbing pipe you know there you go. pvc <laughs> plumbing pipe and painted it red do you know where that thing ended up yeah um it's in san diego county uh and a collector picked it up um years ago and um pretty sure he still has it very cool so i want to talk about some of your builds because there's some cool stuff here that I don't know if our listeners know all of them. If I am correct, was your first build that Trader Joe's down in Irvine? Mm. So the first build was a Trader Joe's, if I remember. But no, first build I had was in Tiki. It was um, my father-in-law's um, deli in Laguna Beach. Oh, okay. And... Um, he hired me to do it. I told him I would do it for free, but he was super classy guy. Uh, one of the best examples I've had in business uh, and in life, you know, besides my father and my grandfather, uh, you know, and he said, no, nobody works for free. You know, he wouldn't have it. Right. Uh, so yeah, I, I themed out the, I made some stuff for the, for the deli, uh, did the bathroom and, you know, a bunch of other stuff. And the, the, one of the most popular things was something that I did uh, with the least amount of effort. He had, uh, from the previous owner, he had these copper pendant lights with the glass shade, you know, just, you know, mm-hmm. nothing special. Um, so I put a light, a blue light bulb in there, and then I got a piece of, like, number six copper grounding wire, and I created, like, a coiled tornado around them. Oh, interesting. Uh, and everybody wanted to buy them. He's like, Man, he's all. You should make these and sell them. Like everybody always wants to know where I got the lights. You know, wow. and this was '90s, so it was classic. You know, yeah, yeah. '90s friends era. You know, yeah. Um, so that was the first one. Oh, so you were building stuff before you were even a tiki guy? Yeah, I I have always been doing something since um, I can remember. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know. I was always making a mess in my dad's garage or my grandfather's yard, uh, you know, since, you know, I can remember. Um, okay. Okay. I was so, working with your hands. Yeah. Like yeah. before then I would think I was into like, um, fabricating, welding, uh, off-road stuff. Right. Um, right. I think the term now is called overlanding, but we were doing this, um, cause we would drive down to Cabo San Lucas every year. Um, my cousins and I. So I was always building something and modifying and testing out theories on my, my, this old forerunner that I had. Um, oh, nice. Dude, and, that's a long uh, ass that, drive. Yeah, it was a drive, but it was fun. And we were, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. we were young and dumb and, yeah. and we would go and raise hell and just hang out. And I mean, literally the stuff that we did on those trips was like the hangover. 
Oh you know? man. Yeah. Like it was like on that level. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So those were good memories. Yeah. I was, the reason why I brought up that Trader Joe's was, you know, that was still in the early days. I don't think that there was really anything being built so much yet at that time. Mm-hmm. And you had done the Trader Joe's down in Irvine and into like a Hawaiian theme, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I did. Um, so the first one was technically in Santa Ana, right by the okay. South Coast Plaza, right on their border. And that store actually doesn't exist anymore. They closed it. Um, but I did Santa Ana and then I did... Um, um, so back then I was, I was in South Orange County and I did a bunch of stores down there. Um, I think we had tiki's or, uh, artifacts in about 12 different Trader Joe's at the time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I think that one had, you redid all the signs and you renamed each of the registers, like a different Hawaiian Island or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. is it still that theme? Do you know? I don't think so. Um, I know who, uh, Trader Joe's um, started to worry about offending people with the religious icons. Oh, okay. okay. Um, and I think at that time uh, there was a change. I'm not sure what happened, but Trader Joe's got more corporate uh, sure. in the office. Uh, and, you know, I guess as you grow, you have to, you know, you have to get a little more, you know, uh, structured. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But while we did work for them, it was great because at at one point they would just give me a budget and they would literally just say, okay, do what you can with this. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't need to, um, I didn't need to like run things by them. They're like, we trust you. Here you go. Here, here's this lump sum of money. Um, this is what we have to spend on it. Do your thing. Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder what happens when something like that gets taken down what happens to all the carvings the signs and all that you know as urban archaeologists would like to save that kind of stuff i had heard that the tiki's that you carved for trader vicks in downtown la i had heard mm-hmm. that one of them or maybe two of them surfaced at a trader vicks down in the seychelles yeah actually uh, all three of them are there oh all three of them are there yeah, that's crazy to me that's crazy to me so now they're on the other side of the world on an island off the coast of South Africa. I think that's where mm. Seychelles is, right? Um, God, I don't want to sound ignorant. Uh, I, I know I, it's I out there thinking, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. But that that's crazy, man. Um, yeah. So I always wonder about that stuff because, you know, when Trader Vic's closed down, my first thought was, all right, where are those tiki's going? <laughs> right. You know? And I'm sure there were people that, that, probably tried to go down there on a covert mission to get them after they heard that Trader Vicks was closing down to try to liberate them and save them. Right. right? But they were probably taking over that Yeah, point. I heard somebody tried to steal them once. Oh, really? Um, so, um, yeah, like a couple of guys rolled up in an SUV, these big guys, and they went and they tried to like shake them to wow. like pull them off their mounts. Wow. And... Um, and I guess it didn't. They weren't able to uh, to take them, so they jumped back in their SUV and took off. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. I didn't know they were mounted down that that firmly. I thought they were just on pedestals. No, no. I I had drawn up a suggested way of mounting them, uh, but I didn't fabricate them. Um, and uh, that they took my advice, and it's a good thing they did because that's probably what saved them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. So let me ask you, as a person that's been in this scene since the very beginning of the revival, Mm -hmm. how do you think the scene is different today than how it was when you and I first entered the scene back in the late 90s? Um, You know, the thing that seems to be the hot button topic these days is cultural appropriation. Right. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, this whole tiki thing. Are, are we being racist? Right. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? Well, to just discredit their argument would be, um, ignorant of us. Uh, sure. like I said before, I mean, you have to listen to what they have to say, but just at the same time, they have to listen to what we have to say. And I think there's going to be a common ground where we 
um, can get to come to a good resolution. Um, or we might just agree to disagree, you know? Um, I know that I, uh, that I have listened to a lot of it and absorbed it and actually made some different, um, um, you know, different business practices that I have. Um, and I, it's probably uh, as a result of that, but not entirely um, due to that. You know, I can't credit all of that because um, I have to, I kind of started considering this a few years ago. The more we started doing um, uh, mugs for, for corporations and uh, distilleries and brands, um, I had to consider their brand and reputation, but also mine. Sure. Uh, and yeah. I, there are some things that that we are willing that we won't do. Um, we don't. We have to. I guess super early on in my career, when I started carving, I said, "Okay, well, there's tiki is two things here." Uh, in it, from my experience at the time, it's it's um, cultural and um, and you know uh, it could even be religious or um, uh, you know from a, a a certain uh, you know way of life um, or ethnicity or it's Polynesian pop, you know, mm-hmm. it's, but, yeah. and there is a crossover, but it, there's definitely two different schools. Right. And at that time um, I didn't feel qualified to, um, to say I was an authority in anything. I, yes, I did have a natural ability and I did carve in a traditional manner, but I also had to consider that, uh, if I'm going to be, uh, working in a style of a culture that is not mine, I need to be as respectful and truthful to that style. Yeah. Uh, I would have to put myself in that situation and be like, okay, if I was, um, uh, from the cook islands or if I was Marquesan, how would I feel if I saw a tiki holding a cheeseburger? And I'm like, no, nah, I mean, that would be offensive, you know, just like right. I see uh, a logo of a bandito, you know, of a fat, greasy, lazy Mexican against a uh, cactus. I'm going to be like, hey, you know, what the hell? You know, that's right. not me. Right. That's that's not anybody I know in my family. Uh, so I had to I had to create art through those eyes um, to be as respectful uh, of a culture that it was not mine. Right. That's a very noble thing to say because and I agree with you 100% you know as somebody that is a person of color in this particular genre mm-hmm. you know I'm torn because there are times that I think like oh this is cool that is cool and it might be okay for someone like me because I'm also of Islander heritage, right? Islander descent. It might be okay for me to put those things on my walls, but I just think that there is no black and white. I think that it's much, much more complex. Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and I do believe that people need to be more receptive to the sensitivity of that. You know, I don't think everything is offensive if it's done respectfully. And that's the key word. But Correct. sometimes, that's you know, the key. that's the key with respect. But sometimes I don't think that people think that far ahead. And um, and even but if they, some, should. they should. And even if someone says, you know, like this makes me feel uncomfortable. I, I see too many people that scoff at that and say, oh, come on, it's just fun. Like lighten up. And it's right. Th- that sentiment is already that in itself is offensive to me because it's like, hey, wait a second. Somebody's expressing concern. And you're basically saying that their concern doesn't matter because it doesn't matter to you, you know, so right. it shouldn't matter to them. Um, well, it doesn't, it doesn't raise a red flag to them because they haven't experienced um, sure. racial discrimination. Like let's say we have, you know, and yeah, you and I have yeah. talked before about certain things that we have experienced and it's like, Hey man, like that's, you know, we're fucking pissed off, you know? Oh like, yeah. Yeah. This, this person showed their true colors and it's like, no, dude, we are not friends, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. you don't know me like that. Like if me and you kid, kid around and say something, uh, you know, there is a, a lot of um, mutual respect and understanding of, you know, common experiences or cultures or traditions, you know? Um, 
And but when somebody else kind of comes in and, and ignorantly just kind of like tries to brush it off, it's kind of like, you know, hey, you know, what the hell? You don't know me like that, you know. Right. Right. Yeah. I think this is a topic that will be discussed for quite a while, especially. It won't when, end. Yeah. Because, especially uh, you know, in today's climate. Right. Um, right. But just some food for thought out there for our listeners, you know, a lot of the the time when cultural appropriation is a label that is kind of scoffed at. Just remember that there are other people that maybe that is is important to them, that this is a topic that is um, uh, important to them, and that's why it's being discussed, and that's why it's being put in the forefront. So Yeah, totally. You yeah. know, um, I don't think it's ever going to end. I do appreciate um, these conversations. Um, and I, I do too. It, yeah. And, but I also have noticed some people aren't willing to do the same amount of work. Like, okay, if we're going to talk about it, let's talk about it. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you want to have a heart to heart, all right, open up your chest. Yep. Let me see your heart. Yeah. Let me see what you really think. Uh, and one, some of the things that I don't appreciate are, uh, when, um, uh, how should I say this? Um, when it starts getting uncomfortable, they bow out because they have the luxury of being able to bow out. Whereas right. people, some people of color don't can't crawl out of their skin. Skin right. they can't. Right. They can't crawl out of their brownness or or, or their ethnicity and jump into um, you know the force field of you know uh, whatever you know. Right. So right. it's like okay, if we're gonna do this, we need to all do this together so we can really really come to a true agreement. And the thing is, this it's one thing in, in my, I guess in my old age or, you know, getting older, it's like, I realized I can't control anybody but myself, sure. you know? Yeah. And I'm also going to have to know like, okay, you know, not all battles. You don't have to fight every battle, you know? Right. Uh, you got to pick your battles and conserve your energy. Me as a creative, I try and always stay, what I call like in the light, like in the positive, you know, um, it's really easy to get caught up in someone's negative energy, um, and go down, you know, the rabbit hole of, of, you know, controversy or conflict, but who is that helping, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I try and divert my energy to positive things. I try and put myself in the position where if I'm the first one there, I'm going to hold the door open for the next guy. I, I don't appreciate, um, somebody being motivated by um, greed or they want their success where it's just them. And for the, for you, you know, with this person, it's like if they have to win and you have to lose. It's like, no, why can't we all win? You know, that's a great, why can't we all do this together. That's a great sentiment, man. That's a great sentiment. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. So let, let's change the mood a little bit. I want to ask you some fun questions. I ask some of these fun questions yeah. periodically. And I don't know if you've uh, heard any of these before. You may have. The superpower right. question. Have you heard that one before? Oh, we're going we're gonna to do a Facebook game? Come on, Adrian. <laughs> Facebook games. <laughs> if you could pick any superpower, what would you choose? So I'm going to tell you, uh, to help you along the way, I'm going to tell you some of the, my favorite answers that I've gotten with this. All right. I've gotten answers. Uh, my favorite answer, which is my answer, or one of my favorites, is mm-hmm. eat whatever I want without getting fat be right. able to teleport so I don't have to sit on a long flight or if I want to go to Paris for dinner, I can go to Paris and then be back home in time for, uh, for bed. Um, be able to communicate with my pets, speak any language so I can communicate with anybody wherever I travel. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are some examples. Do you have anything that you've, you've always wished you've been able to do? Any superpower? Mm. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name two. All right. And one's going to probably make me sound like an asshole, but one of them <laughs> is um, fly, you know? Yeah. Like, how awesome would that be? It would be awesome. You know, that's every every kid's dream is to be <laughs> right, able to fly. Right, right. You know, from the first time you saw Superman, you're like, oh, man, you know, yeah, everybody's yeah. put that towel on, you know, and jumped from the couches and run around, try to make, and they're envisioning them, their cape flapping in the wind, but right. no, it's just really <laughs> tucked in their draw, their drawers, and they're just you know running around in their pajamas and shit. Right. Um, so that's one, and you know we've all had those dreams where we're flying, you know. Um, and the second one is uh, this is the one that make me sound like an asshole, but creativity, you know. 
Oh, why would that make you sound like an asshole? That's, you know what? Here's the thing. People that are creative, I mean, there's nothing more debilitating than having a creative block, right? Than having writer's block of some sort. It's got to be frustrating if, you know, if you're, especially if you're a creative person, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't see how that would make you sound like an asshole. I think that that's a fair answer. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I'm saying that because I am. I, I consider myself a creative, or I realize that I'm a creative person. Um, but I feel like that's that's to my advantage in any situation because it allows you to think. Some people think linear, you know, like one and, oh, two yeah, and yeah, three yeah. and four, and it's like no creativity is is um, spherical. You attack a problem from all different planes. It's not one and two and three, you know, yeah. it's hey, you know, from all different angles. Yeah. That's the first time I've, I've heard that. That actually makes really good sense. Maybe because so, I think linearly. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. I mean, that's just the way, uh, you know, I mean, you probably wouldn't look, you probably think like, you know, looking at me like, oh, he doesn't think this or that, but I don't know. Like having worked a lot by myself over the years, you just, I always try and apply my creativity to any problem, you know, it's it there's nothing more infuriating to me than when i'm like okay let's let's solve this and they're like well this is the way we've always done it you know right right and it's like that's the stupidest thing i ever heard this is the way we've always done it you right know? right yeah yeah I mean, can you imagine what the you. world would be like if that's the way you know uh industry was ruled or sure. people or medicine sure. or whatever you know sure yep okay if a movie were to be made about your life who would you pick to play you? Mm, I don't know, man. For me, it would be The Rock because I think we kind of look the same. Yeah. <laughs> you and The Rock? Yeah. It, maybe more. Maybe you're more the pebble than The Rock. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, you're lucky I didn't say a uh, kidney stone, right? Right. Oh, that's right. Uh, I'm just messing, Adrian. No, I know. It's like we're drinking and we're just we're clowning <laughs> each other. And when when I joke like that with somebody, some people think that's being mean or rough. But it's like, no, it's a dance. <laughs> right. Don't you hear the music? Like, come back and me. You know, let's. Right. You know, it's a tennis match. Right. Oh man, I have no idea who would play me. Um, you know, let me pick somebody. I don't know. Some uh, dude off the street. Uh, let me pick somebody. How about? Um, Who's the kid that played Spider Man? <laughs> Tom Holland. <laughs> Tom Holland. Who is that? Uh, he played Spider Man in the Marvel Universe. The most recent one. Uh, yeah. The one where he goes to London or something. Uh, he's from London. But he also, but in the movie, the Spider Man goes to Europe or something. Uh, yeah. Or yeah. Italy or yeah. Venice. I think it was. Uh, I'm gonna get this wrong. Uh, was it the Eiffel Tower or it was some something like that? Yeah. Right. So that would he would play me? Yeah, because he's the exact opposite of you, so that that would make the movie comical. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll watch it, I think. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh one last fun question. If you yeah. could spend time with anyone dead or alive, real or fictitious, who would you choose? So my answer to this, to help you think about that, I think it'd be fun to spend a day with Ferris Bueller. He's fictitious. Okay. I think it'd be cool to spend time with Bruce Lee. He's dead. But my my real answer, like my go-to, which is, you know, in, in all fairness, I've asked this question a hundred times, and so I've had lots of answers from other people, and I've been able to think about it for myself. I think I'd like to speak with like a great-great-grandfather or great-great-great-grandfather, you know, learn about my lineage and learn about my ancestors. Mm-hmm. That would be my, probably my final answer. But there's quite a few out there that I think that I would enjoy. You know, uh, maybe uh, hang out with, with Marty McFly, you know, and jump in the time machine, <laughs> you know? So, right. Dead or alive, real or fictitious? Uh, oh, Don the Beachcomber maybe would be cool as a tiki guy. Who? Don the Beachcomber as a tiki mm. guy or Trader Vicks. I don't know. Man, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I, 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 it's so hard because I really couldn't pick one. There's, there's so many people, you know. Yeah. Um, 
that I would I would love to talk to and just pick their brain and um sure you know kind of see the world through their eyes yeah um, yeah be it you know family members that have passed on um oh man you know I don't yeah. know it's Fa- just, it's family just for me is is big because I know nothing about my family past my grandfather I only know mm-hmm. up to my grandfather because as a young guy I was too self-centered to care you know, and, right. and now as an adult, as a grown adult, I regret not having asked the questions that I could have asked while he was alive. I don't know anything about his dad, which would be mm-hmm. my great-grandfather. And I don't know anything about his grandfather, which would be my great-great-grandfather, right? Right. Um, and it kills me that I will probably never know. So there's one that I've kind of touched on, uh, you talking about great-grandfathers. I think he's my great 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 grandfather um that um he was like an activist he was like he was like a bad motherfucker you know oh nice um he was uh his house still stands in tucson uh and he was um he was a senator and a judge um in sonora mexico um and then later moved to the tucson area actually he moved to tucson and then 1800s and um he retired he was retired from you know being a politician and a judge um i think his father was also uh, um a judge uh maybe that's why i like to argue i come with from a family of you know okay um you know that line of work um and then he um had a general store and as a local merchant he noticed that there was a lack of uh, information available to the indigenous people, especially the Spanish speaking people, uh, in the area. So he closed his general store mm-hmm. and started up the first, uh, Spanish, um, language newspaper in Arizona. And I think later it was distributed, uh, into the four, the four corner States. Um, and he also, uh, and he did this because he felt like there was an injustice. There was a lack of information that kept a lot of right. the um, Mexican American people um, ignorant, um, and or they had to, you know, hear it secondhand all the information, which is a super like uh, dangerous thing to do because you could literally tell anybody anything, right? Uh, you know, and uh, he had this um, newspaper that grew to like the largest. Uh, Spanish um, speak, you know, Spanish language newspaper uh, in the, you know, the American Southwest uh, until his death. He, he ran it for 16 years, but he also started a, a, a like a fraternal order um, insurance, like a, like an insurance like um, company that helped provide um, life insurance for Mexican American people. Um, and um, it was kind of like a, like a fraternal order, like where it wasn't just him that started it, uh, but he was the main force. And he and some of his uh, friends that were in the position to be helpful, you know, started this organization that ran until the 70s. Nice. Wow. And, you know, his house is still there. Wow. It's on the haunted tour of Tucson. Um, his name was Carlos Ignacio Velasco. And... Um, He's just a super interesting dude. So he was kind of like, he refused to take no for an answer and he did not let the prejudice uh, environment that he was, that actually he thrived in as a businessman. um, But he didn't, he just didn't want to take any shit. Dude, that's awesome. And he took a stand. That's a great answer. See, I'd like to meet him now. Yeah. And he, you know, it was just, it's just cool. It's like something we've kind of always known. And we also know that, that his, I think his, daughter married a redheaded Frenchman mm-hmm. that was like came from France and he was like a cowboy and that was at that point that was the most interesting part it's like oh yeah we got a redhead in the family you know? wow have um, you been to his house in Tucson I have I didn't go in because it's changed hands since then okay after he died um uh my uh you know great 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 grandmother I think she moved in with one of her kids uh-huh. And then the house fell into disrepair, but you know it was like a nice house back in the day. Um, but you said it's on a haunted tour. Is it open to the public? Uh, that I don't know. I think I don't know. Okay. Um, uh, but he's buried in the Tucson Museum, and so is his wife. 
Okay. Um, so I have a whole like other side of family members that some of them I do know. Um, and, um, some I've never met, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. But just, I, you know, I, I knew I had family history in Tucson and I always felt like, a, 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 a I always liked it. My wife moved there before we got married for about a year and I just felt like a weird connection there. Like I felt at home. Huh. Um, I really liked it. Certain smells just really like resonated with me. Like the desert, like sage. I'm like, Oh, that smells good. Like after, after the monsoon, when you just smell the, the wet desert, I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. You know? Right. Right. Yeah. That's awesome, so, man. If we're ever, we would like to talk to you today. That's awesome. That's a great answer. If we're ever in Tucson together, I'd love to go with you over there and just see some of your history. All right. I think that we'll go cool. do that, and we'll go drink at Big Lou's. Um, Hell yeah, sports bar. That's right. And for those that don't know, Big Lou used to manage the Contiki. So yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, we love Lou. All right, man. So um, before we wrap up, let's talk real quick about what you're working on right now. What's the future of Tiki Diablo? Mm, man, I don't can, know. Can that door talk, is like wide open. Can like, we talk about what so you're working many... on, or or is it is it still? Uh, is it not for public consumption just yet? Mm, I mean, it's, it's what I'm working on. If you want to put the dots together, it's there. Okay. Um, uh, we'll, I don't like the jeans stuff. Okay. We'll, um, leave, we'll leave it at that. If that's what, but, if that's what you want. You know, um, just fun, exciting stuff, uh, promoting quality, uh, quality design. Um, and kind of what um, we try to do is keep, Tiki traditional, um, yet with its own, like, I guess you asked me also, like when we're talking about carving style and all that, I've at some point very early on in my career, I started interjecting my own culture into Tiki. So I would put that, that, um, Latin twist to it. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you see it, like if it reflected in the names, like when I came back from carving in, in Europe, I carved in the tiki's in Spain, and I noticed that they were they called those they didn't call them tiki bars they called them uh, Hawaiian bars or ha- bar Hawaiano you right know? right so you know that kind of struck with me so I just you know have always tried to I guess if, if I have to say what I'm, what we have planned is to continue more of that okay. uh, early theme of interjecting my own culture um, and mixing it with adding a little you know Latin spice to it but still being very respectful and working in a traditional style. Very nice. So very nice. honoring both cultures at the same time. Very nice. I love it. Let's throw your social media and website out there for anybody that wants to check out your stuff or order merch from you. Yeah. So, um, my social media is, uh, Tiki Diablo. Uh, I have a Facebook page also Tiki Diablo and my website is Tiki Diablo.com. Very nice. Well, hey, man, we did it. We finally recorded this podcast. <laughs> yeah, four years later, right? Like the SpongeBob, right. four years later. <laughs> it's right. But uh, I would have liked to have done this in person and did it in front of, uh, you know, did it in person with drinks, right? But Dude, I was going to tell you, I was like, man, like I've been home. I have not gone anywhere. You know, when I go to my shop, I try not there not to be anybody there. I'm like, let's just let's line them up. Yeah, man. I'm spending the night, Adrian. But here's the here's the thing. Like we've tried that before, and it never works out. <laughs> no, because we'll just start drinking and, and, and talking shit and just right. laughing and reminiscing. I, I think even one time it was like, oh, let's just record one at the Tiki Tea, and it, you know, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, and most of my time, I usually kick it outside and smoke a cigar. Right. Yeah. And me too. I usually just have one drink and just nurse it all night long. There you uh, go. That's what but I. But I'm there too. just to BS and hang out, and smoke cigars with senior. Yep, yep. I hope they open soon, man. I'm I'm really missing. I heard, it. yeah. I mean, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I heard they they might be opening up very soon. All right, um, cool. Next month, hopefully. Very cool. Um, so you know, I'm I'm all for you know small business, local business, and you know the Tiki T. I mean, that's just LA history. Oh yeah. So whatever whatever I can do to help them, I'm always down to help. I am too. You know, and- I am too. There, there's. Lots of things I like about Tiki T. Number one, they're OGs, right? Ray, Ray yep. Buen was one of the original bartenders for Don the Beachcomber. And like yep. you said, it's L.A. history. The bar's L.A. history, Hollywood history. 
And the main thing that I really like about the Tiki Tea is that it's family owned. So when yes. I'm buying a, a, a cocktail or I'm buying a t-shirt or whatever it is that I'm doing to support them, it's not going into the bank account of some corporation that's making a CEO a little bit richer. You know, it's yeah. it's going to help. Corporate America doesn't need more money. Mom and exactly. pop needs, needs our, our backup and our help. That's right. It's going to help their family with uh, put their kids through school or whatever, right? Every raise right. mistake I buy goes to helping a family, not a corporation. So, right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. And people, there was a discussion just, I know you're, we're going to wrap it up, but no, it's all good. Uh, there Go was ahead. a discussion about um, cultural appropriation and in the bar industry and people of color and somebody brought up the tiki tea and how it's just like no other bar um and i know there's a big movement there has been a big movement with the um cocktail industry and the art of the cocktail has really been elevated and we have all benefited from it every single industry tied in with the cocktail and, and spirits industry has benefited from this um but one thing that they were saying was there's something magical about the Tiki Tea yeah. because they have a direct lineage uh, to the golden era of cocktails and especially tropical cocktails. Yep. Uh, and they're like, they were just trying to explain it. And I said, well, you know what? Um, it's like you said, it's family. You go in and it's like going to your uncle's house that happens to own a bar or your uncle's bar and, he, you know, your uncle's place of business and it happens to be a Tiki bar. Uh, so there's always a warm smile, open arms, and they take their hospitality seriously, but they don't take themselves seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That's what works for them. Yeah. I love it, man. Tiki T people, go out there and support them. And to our yeah. friend, Tiki Diablo, at Tiki Diablo, TikiDiablo.com. Thanks for being on the show, man. Appreciate yeah, it so my much. Pleasure. All right. So I will let you go. All right, Adrian. Good talking to you. To you, hide the family. I will. You too. Cheers. Aloha. Aloha.